0: Okay. So, I would like to talk now about um effort and achievement, attitude and view. And um a lot of what I'm going to say will keep will keep uh keep its relevance uh, should be applicable, whatever your whatever level you're at, whatever stage of development you are through the jhanas. As I said, the effort thing never goes away; it just becomes more subtle. But the attitude thing and the and the whole view, all this is so important. And so it should apply to m- maybe not all of it, m- a lot of it should apply to any any level we're talking about. I meant to say this the other night, but I'll throw it in now. Um, it's interesting to look up the word samadhi in a Pali dictionary and then a Sanskrit dictionary, because it's actually a Sanskrit word, and see some of the its kind of historical uses. Um, so samadhi almost always gets translated as concentration. And I hope you can sense right now, I feel it's yes, a great translation. And there are some problems that come with that translation, a kind of implicit and then uh, repeated and then entrenched indoctrination that comes. We tend to think of it as meaning something, right? You've got that message a little bit, yeah? If you, look, if you look up what the word means, it actually means um, agreement, or like a reconciliation, like a group of people agree on something, or two people become reconciled, or harmoni- harmony, like harmony in a village, or something like that. That's one of its principal meanings. What does that imply about that word? What does it imply about your view? what does it imply about your conception what does it imply about what you emphasize so i'm not going to say anything about it but again this is the invitation the reminder to think on your to, to listen on your toes excuse me so um Effort, it's a, it's a constant question. We can talk about it at a very gross level. We can talk about it at a kind of macro level, and a micro level. We can talk about it at extremely subtle levels. Effort and attitude and view, I want to go into some of this. Sometimes what happens, often what happens, when a person loves the path and loves practice and really has a good desire and, and eros for, for all this stuff, um, in the course of a retreat, in the course of practice, very easy that we put too much pressure on too much pressure on the practice too much pressure on ourselves sometimes there are people who would do better with a bit more pressure okay they're just a bit like ah it's cool you know things come and go and whatever you know it's not whatever i actually could do with turning turning the heat up a little bit working harder more more time on the cushion etc but most I don't know. Most m- m- very common, especially in this this kind of retreat, is somewhere along the line it gets a bit too pressured. We put too much pressure on, and a lot of that's unconscious. So, um, how can we take pressure off if that's the case? In different ways. One of the things I just want to reiterate: body needs to be relatively comfortable. Certainly at this point in jhana pra- in in your journey in jhana practice for most of you. We don't want to put too much pressure on the body by um, thinking it's better to stay cross-legged, it's better, and I need to be in that over and over for hours and hours and sit through the pain, etc. Um, as I mentioned, the first, I don't know how many years of my uh, Vipassana practice were um, mostly spent looking, uh, being with, uh, tolerating, working with, as best as I could, um, physical pain. The sitting after sitting, hour after hour, Month and year after year of retreat, etc, I would say that developed a lot. I mean, I look back at that youngster and I think, pff, you know that's quite quite something to just uh, put up with all that and be be willing to to do all that. A lot got developed in terms of patience and will and resolve and um, i'm not sure how much insight, some insight, but um I wouldn't say that was the primary thing at one point, my teacher in orion I can 't remember the context i Telling her, telling her this, or we were discussing retreat I was going, or something, and she said, "You know, it, it, it's great, and it's great that you're able to do that, but your practice might be getting a little narrow, because if you ask me, what about, you know, the exploration of emotions and all kinds of other stuff, or samadhi, or this? It, it was mostly just being being with the pain. And as I mentioned, Christina uh, suggested, "Why don't you try alternating?" Uh, postures and and then it was at that point that something opened. the pressure was taken off the body, and the Samadhi could really really then develop so pr- pressure off the body another way is through the view of what we're doing and and the idea of what we're doing and this is so much of what I want to um, talk about so sometimes of course 'm not jhana retreat i'm going to I want to develop the jhanas, I want to develop my concentration i wa- etc sometimes we have to reflect. Or maybe oftentimes we have to reflect on the bigger picture of what we're developing here. I mean, what you are developing just by trying, for instance, to, to keep your attention at the tip of your nose. So then we I, I'm failing because I, th- I got distracted in thought again. Um, is, is a view and then a whole emotion and papancha and dukkha that's coming out of too narrow a view of what you're trying to develop? So, as I said, if I include the fact that the hindrances and their arising um, have all kinds of potential for insight there, that's part of my. that it enlarges the, the, the scope of my view, my, my picture of what I'm trying to do. That makes a huge difference. So then when, when they're there, I'm not, gonna, I'm not all upset. It's not a failure. I don't, I don't judge myself as a failure as a meditator or whatever. I'm developing sensitivity and all this. And maybe that's more important than focus and concentration. Um, I'm developing all these resources, as as we said. Um, And a lot of this is not black and white. So sometimes another problem with view we have is everything's so black and white. Actually, where is the black and white in terms of resources that one's developing, of well-being or patience or whatever it is? I am developing concentration, but even that's not black and white. Patience, as I said, resolve, um, responsiveness, discipline, all all this is, is in the big picture of what's being developed and when it's not going well in terms of how well I'm sticking to these sensations, I need to open that view. Or at the beginning of a sitting, I really need to have a sense of the, the, the bigger picture of what I'm doing, what's being developed here. Um, this makes a big difference and of course developing mindfulness. Every time the, the the mind wanders off, it's mindfulness that notices that the mind has wandered off. So it's a moment of mindfulness and I have to see that. That's also part of what I'm developing. Don't let the view get too narrow because um, like we said with the table analogy and with the only one, too narrow is not enough base and things will capsize very, very easily the wind blows a little bit things get a little difficult and and we get very dejected if something falls over hopefully i'm also developing or i'm i'm over time letting go of judgments so every time the mind wanders i i judge less and and not only am i developing concentration but maybe maybe i'm developing i'm taking care of working on that too just as a sort of uh kinda integral uh woven in factor all of these things are really, really important and for some people they're going to be the development of patience, the letting go of self-judgment, the development of discipline, the development of resolve, um, all this is actually going to be more important, more significant for your liberation, the healing of your heart and, and your life, than attaining some jhana. We I really mean this some Some people it 's like, yeah, jhana, great, but what about this? What about that self judgment What about um, whatever it is? I mentioned yesterday this kind of micro micro habit. remember this kind of like oh it 's not quite as good as it was, yes, it could be better um, that 's also in the bigger picture of what 's being developed that the the influence of that kind of um, subtle micro micro level aversion uh, or negative viewing the influence of that on our lives is huge and so if that's part of our bigger picture of what we're developing you know that also expands um, the container of what we're doing the view of what we're doing and hence the, st- the stability of our of our vessel so one more thing about that micro habit um, I- can I uh, learn to let go of that micro habit of it's not good enough and still work and play in the moment, yeah so they 're not contradictions. How can we have a direction that we're working or playing towards and yet not have that negative not quite good enough or or not let that kind of run run the show uh you know, cast its pallor and its flavor over the whole of the proceedings. When is that a hindrance? An Achilles, this is. It could be better. When is that a hindrance? And when is it actually a just a wise discernment that's actually part of this opportunism? When is letting go of this? No, it could be better. When is that a skillful? shift in attitude, and when is it just laziness and inertia? that no, 's it's okay. I've actually just got putting up with something, but it's coming out of laziness and inertia. This is a really subtle question, a really subtle inquiry. Doing a jhana retreat, or practicing jhana long-term, um, developing that, it's going to really develop uh, our steadiness, our capacity to stay steady long term with whatever we're committed to, whatever we care deeply about in life, the projects we want to see through, the service we want to give, because we have more capacity, more resource. We're also training this moment to moment steadiness, of course, but it takes a lot of steadiness to just keep showing up and keep intending to do samadhi practice. So the, the steadiness you need to show up and to keep putting your mind in a certain direction, you're actually cultivating the kind of steadiness it takes to um, be there for you know your long-term intentions and stay steady with them, and your goals and projects and what you really care about, and manifesting in your life in a way that works towards that. So steadiness That capacity for steadiness is certainly a result of jhāna, but it's also a cause. It's part of the causal supporting conditions. So all that's uh, involved and all that I think needs to be in the bigger picture. Because if the picture gets too small, we'll get miserable much more often and self-judgmental and tight and everything. Okay, so talking about taking the pressure off. Sometimes at the beginning, the beginnings of sittings are quite interesting moments. Sometimes, of course, you get right and get right to work, get right to play. You know, just okay, let's go. And sometimes it's just you know you can come in and just just hang out for a while, just sit there. And there's sort of light mindfulness. And really, what you're doing is just relaxing, hanging out, just checking that you're not too tight about the whole thing sometimes for some people or for dedicated meditators just adopting the posture automatically brings in a whole set of views and a whole a whole bunch of tightness it's just associated with coming into a meditation hall or sitting on a cushion in a certain posture and and we bring all this kind of sometimes subtle sometimes less than subtle psychological baggage with it so at the beginning sometimes it can be sometimes it can be fruitful just just hang out relax look around It's taking the pressure off, and sometimes in that, the energy body is actually allowed to become more harmonious, just naturally, organically to some extent, because the pressure, oftentimes unconscious pressure that we bring, is actually squeezing the energy body in a certain way that is not helpful. And again, I mentioned this on the opening. I think sometimes open the intention. Why am I here? It gets so much about me and my practice and my achievement and my and then me compared to someone else and, and all the rest of it. Can I actually keep opening it up so I'm actually not doing this just for myself? Maybe I'm not doing it primarily for myself. This is not. Th- this kind of thing can be very, very uh, significant, very pivotal, in terms of its effects. And again, if I come out, I've got a three-week, or whatever, it's 23-day Jahan retreat, whatever it is, and or I've got a week retreat, or I've got a month, or I've got a year, or whatever it is, and then we can, uh, sometimes often consciously, and sometimes semi-consciously, kind of have a timetable of achievement. So I guess by the end of the second week, I'll be in there, and then and if it's a year, then you really go, you know, <laughs> three months, or whatever it is. Timetables are really not helpful, Okay? Um, in this. Uh, what well they help is suffering. <laughs> so if you want to suffer, make, give yourself a timetable of achievement of what you hope to achieve when, or what, you, what you're pretty sure you're going to achieve when, or even what you're intending to achieve when. Um, it's a form of hindrance, in a way, actually. Um, let it go and work and play. Work or play, whatever you prefer it. So, what is it to work? To work towards them. so often, what happens in some spiritual context is there's so much pain in the idea of a goal or achievement or attaining this or that or whatever um, that that it's so painful, especially for Westerners, etc. They just throw it out, and then we get a teaching of nowhere to go, nothing to do, da, da 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 da, and it's either this or that. Is there some? Our life is not like that. There are places to go in our life. There is stuff to do. The stuff that we care about, we need to have goals. We need to do stuff. We need to make stuff happen. It matters to our souls. How do I do that? How do I relate to working towards what I love, what I feel is important? Playing in that way, and still, um, uh, you know, not having a timetable. For example, letting go of uh, of that. I don't have to get tight around it, or it is an art to have a goal and work towards a goal and, and uh, be aware of where the tightness comes in. Maybe that is a better way of saying it. it will come in if you love this stuff. You will suffer. You are going to suffer on this retreat with exactly that if you care enough. If you don't care, you probably won't suffer. But if you care, you are going to suffer. And The Buddha talked about this. It is the distress of the contemplative, he calls it. If you are not, something is wrong. Something I would say is wrong in your in your in your larger view and your attitude. So it will come, then part of the art is ah, there it is. And, and noticing even at really subtle levels, what's feeding it, what view is feeding it, what way of going about things is feeding it. This is part of the art. <coughs> and related to that, again, this achievement thing, is this it? Have I got it? Is this the first jhana? Am I in it? Am I out? have I achieved it? Have I got it? And, th- and that's, of course, related to this question that I've talked about several times. What qualifies as a jhana? Have I got it? Is this it? Depends on how I define it, right? So again, oftentimes this, this question of what actually qualifies as the first jhana, what qualifies as the whichever jhana, what qualifies as jhana, it's often, just to dial down my inner language here, um, it could often be posed in more intelligent ways, I think. It could often be posed in more fruitful ways. Oftentimes, it's not. It's po- it, it, um, what is important. What's important? Don't lose sight. Let your questions, and let your emphases, and let your attitudes, and let your practices, and the Everything comes from what is important. What do I want? Where am, wha- where am I actually trying to get to? And it's interesting, you know, if you think about so there's such a, uh, you know, tension and tizzy and fuss around what is and what isn't a jhana, either internally for a person or, you know, in, in terms of polemic and argument and all that stuff. If you think about, I don't know, something like, Mindfulness, or another factor on the Eightfold Path, do we have the same kind of fuss about that, or the Seven Factors of Awakening, or most people with all those other stuff? What is mindfulness? Is this mindfulness? Is it not mindfulness? Was that mindfulness? It doesn't. It's not so black and white. Or Metta is an even better example because we we're talking about it before. Yes, it's we have to acknowledge, it's helpful to define metta. What are we talking about? We're not talking about, like, if you don't love me back, I'm going to jump out the window. That's not metta. It's so it's good. Okay, metta is it's this. It's unconditional. It's non-attached. It's uh, universal. This this is good. You know, wishing for well-being. It's good to define what metta is. But the practice of metta, uh, you know, sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's weaker. As we were just saying, it has all kinds of sub- Sub emotions or flavors, it's a complex of lots of different. Sometimes there's no emotion there, it's just an intention. All that's meta, you know. Sometimes it's at different times, it's more or less purified of its near enemy, attached love, right? Uh, it's a spectrum, and all, all of that is included, and all of it counts as meta, right? Who would. It, it should. Why? we thinking about jhana, first jhana, third, whatever it is, as something in, in any way different. Why has that one, what's going on? So Somehow so tenaciously and unquestioningly um, we conceiving of jhana as something different. Like this one word has got so charged and <coughs> as I say I just put this question, is it possible to think and relate to all this stuff with a little more intelligence? Let's just say that. So yes, uh, you know sometimes it's better to just uh, drop that question if if one's fretting about it, and 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 the fretting can be completely non-verbal. I'll come back to this at the end. I'm fretting over am I in or out, and I'm not even thinking am I in or out. Just get into it. Just enjoy it. Just work or play or seek to maximize your enjoyment. So, again, with with respect to view and attitude and emphasis and all that, uh, did did I say yesterday quality over quantity? I did say that, right? Yeah. Um, So. Oftentimes, mostly I would say, it, it helps to prioritize the quality of attention over the quantity of attention, meaning how long, how long in time before I get distracted. It is still important, you know, that sort of sustaining the attention or holding it on something, but I would say most people do much better putting that um, I- secondary in importance to, to the quality. And what do we mean by quality? Wholeheartedness is part of quality. How wholeheartedly in this moment can I open to and give and uh, become intimate with and become interested in and give myself to whatever it is I'm paying attention to? And this is one of those things... Okay, so it's really important at a micro level here. It's also really important in life. And it's not like... um, You know the capacity, the ability, the willingness to be wholehearted. Sometimes that's what's missing in in a person, not just in their concentration practice, but in their life as well. It's an important thing. Can I? Can I? How wholehearted can I be in this moment with this thing, with this person, with this whatever it is, with this passion, with this issue, with this w- whatever. So quality means wholeheartedness, but also some of the things we talked about yesterday, this modulation of intensity. So quality doesn't just mean intensity on, on 11 all the time. It means uh, the responsive sort of, uh, uh, responsive tuning of the intensity of the attention. And if you say, s- I'm actually not sure I know what that means, intensity, or I, f- I can feel what that means, there's something I would encourage you to experiment with. Um, play with it, get a sense of shifting the gears or turning the dial up and down of the intensity of the attention. Because again, back to this issue of inertia, sometimes it's like, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention. I'm, pay- what's, what's I'm just paying attention. Okay, there's nothing to talk about. I'm paying attention. Are you with your breath? Yeah, I'm paying attention to my breath. But the inertia there is not taking the trouble to actually play with this and get a sense of the shit oh this is what it is to be this is what it feels like for an intense attention this is what it feels like to back off the intention and sometimes we just haven't explored that because there's a certain amount of inertia we just think of attention mindfulness whatever it is so delicacy, lightness of attention. This is all related. We talked about it yesterday. The relative spaciousness also is part of the quality. What kind of spaciousness of attention helps? So back to when we talked about PT earlier today. You know, which which mode? This is all part of the quality. Being willing to to play with the relative spaciousness of the attention. Just to throw out a little bit. Um, sometimes, at some points, there's really a place i uh, talking still about quality of attention, there's really a place for a kind of poetic or even imaginal sensibility uh, in relation to whatever it is I'm paying attention to, the breath, uh, for example. Um, so sometimes we, we tend to, inf- most beginners on most retreats tend to pay attention to the sensations, the bare sensations, don't imagine, don't think anything, etc. Then when we introduce the energy body, but those of you then, then we, we say, it's okay to imagine. And it's not really about sensation. It's some, well, it is kind of sensation, but it's a different kind of sensation. But actually, what about if it's neither just sensation nor just energy? Um, what would it be sometimes, on this kind of retreat, just seems like, little, it's like uh, adding a spice to the, to the, to the meal. Um, what is it to breathe the breath of the all-merciful, Allah. What is it to breathe God's breath? Now, I just have that view lightly in relation to the breath, what happens? Now, of course, that might not work for you at all, that, but it doesn't is there's no formula here. The, c- the point is about, there's ways of sensing uh, whatever it is you're sensing, whatever it is you're concentrating on, and sensing it with more uh, poetic uh, uh, or imaginal sensibility the breath of the beloved, the breath of the divine, the breath of the Buddha nature. These are just examples. Um, or or the breath tinged somehow in breathing mercy and breathing in and out compassion, whatever it is. It may be in that, and for some of you that know the imaginal practice, I'm not gonna explain it, it may be that the whole sense of self at that point becomes imaginal. That may be okay. Again, we're back to intention. What's my primary intention here on this retreat? Um, so we don't really want to get into a whole imaginal thing, etc. But it's almost like titrating how much of that imaginal sense or poetic sensibility there is in the mix of what's going on. So just a, uh, so just a little, little bit of this spice in. It can ignite something. Sort a humdrum nothing 's really happening a little bit a little bit of that can change the whole relationship. Why go back to what I said before what 's most primary in in PT arising? open heartedness openness of being that 's actually kind of what makes the most difference um Years ago, Kirsten and I went to visit, we, we had a, a friend who's a scholar in Berlin, and he gave me, because I was learning Sanskrit from him, and he gave me this, these texts um, from caves in Afghanistan, Buddhist caves in Afghanistan, um, uh, in, in Sanskrit. And they were, they were versions of the Anapanasati Sutta, the Buddha's mindfulness of breathing, but they had all kinds of things like, Im- imagine breathing a blue breath, or, or, uh, w- or with color and, and imagery in them. I lost them, unfortunately. Um, th- 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 <laughs> they weren't the originals. I mean, <laughs> um, but um, anyway, that sort of thing is in the, in the tradition. So a little bit of this, a little bit of this titrate, a little bit of drop of this essential oil or whatever is can spark something. Um, a dash of spice in the, in the, in the meal, um, but it's all very delicate, very subtle. So sometimes when people talk about like tonglen, breathing in and out compassion, sometimes. When people practice that way it 's all very heavy it 's all very clunky and kind of gross so i 'm talking about something much much more subtle here it 's really like a like a little drop of something in into into a mixture uh, okay, back to this I probably won 't bash it much after this talk um but again, so easily we can we, we come from our past, from our indoctrination, and um, to think of what are we doing here, um, where we're developing our focus, developing our concentration, or somehow trying to be um, or get into a state where there isn't thought. And then we measure the whole thing with how long have I been on this object, how much is thought arising, and etc could that view be part of our inertia? Could we have inertia around that view? And as I said, some of those things that get emphasized are actually, if you look at the whole totality of what the Buddha said about all this, they're just a phrase here and there. Somehow they've got extracted, repeated, emphasized, indoctrinated. What would it be to emphasize at times or instead, or even primarily, um, this idea of actually seeking to uh, cultivate and to maximize even pleasure and enjoyment. Uh, The exploration of subtlety, Uh, exploration of the whole territories anyway, just exploration and love of exploration, love of what opens. What would it be if those were the primary Intentions and emphases rather than um, focus concentration uh, being thought free etc so earlier I said um, I think I said some people some people might be really good to drop the whole jar for if you 've done Depends on how much experience you have, had, but some people at some points in their practice it might be really good to drop the whole jhana framework, the whole framework of ideas of jhanas for a while. And actually maybe just think about sort of insight practice and samadhi practice. And the intention with samadhi practice is not so much focus and concentration, but as I said, this um, well-being. Cultivation of well-being, pleasure, enjoyment. Go back to what does samadhi mean? Harmonization, agreement, reconciliation. What does that um, suggest? What does it feel like? And and in dropping the whole jhana framework, we're also dropping this question of, or it's much less. Is this it now? Have I got it? Sometimes what that does, that question, is it creates a kind of um, subtle overexcitement in the moment or a grasping, or a snatching, and the Buddha actually says in the suttas when he describes the jhanas, don't snatch without snatching at the at the uh, first jhana, without snatching at the PT. Um, but the snatching comes out of a certain attitude, at a certain view, out of a certain mind state. It is something that happens in the moment that comes out of a view. Do you see how important view is. Um, and in dropping all that system of the jhanas, we're actually less self-judgment, with because the, the self doesn't have this whole scale, this ladder of uh, by which to kind of grade itself, of measurement and the whole achievement mentality. A lot of these views will actually just work against the samadhi deepening and against the jhana kind of coming together or opening. So sometimes, for some people, at certain stages of their practice, actually just drop the whole framework of eight jhanas and just think of uh, split it in two. There's insight practice and there's samadhi practice. Samadhi is about having a really good time. <laughs> actually, insight is as well the way I teach it. So it's just slightly different how you go about it. But um, I will I, I'll explain the difference. Um, in insight practice. W- it should it should be really nice it should open up a really nice time and because what in insight practice what we're doing is we're letting go of clinging in the moment it's clinging that causes dukkha an insight way of looking in my definition is something that releases clinging it therefore should bring relief release and it feels nice but what we're primarily interested then in when we're doing insight practice is that whole process where is the clinging? How do I let go of it? What ways of looking up work to let go of clinging? And what happens in my sense of self, world, dukkha, reality when I let go of the clinging? So all that, it's, it's definitely a good time, but it's a certain kind of good time. Samadhi practice is more about, Oh, here's this lovely quality that's arisen. And there can be many different ones. Let me really, as I said, nuzzle into it or open myself into it. Let me really get into that. And I'm less concerned with these other questions, primarily about clinging and reality and and all that. So they're both, you understand? They're both, it should be nice. Okay, so if a person lets go the jhana framework for a while, and then they can kind of um, begin to um, uh, notice gradually the different shades in their experience. Just thinking about samadhi and these lovely qualities and enjoying them, slowly, slowly, I begin to discern between these different shades and qualities and frequencies. Um, And then at some point, you can reintroduce the jhana framework in in relation to that with post-it notes. Other people, as a, as I said, um, really need to discern more. It's really the time in their practice where they need to make more um, more discriminations, more discernments between this is this kind of pleasure, this is this kind of uh, realm, and this is this. And how is it different? And what are the different territories? And what are the sub territories there? Let's go back to this thing. What's my playground? What does it mean um, to 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 develop mastery? Um, if we don't discern with all with all these territories, the fruit we get out of it will be much much less. And I know meditators who, um, you know, can get well being and they can sit in that well being for hours actually. And they've been sitting in the same well being for about twenty years. I mean, not interrupt, you know, But uh, 20, 20 years of their practice, because they didn't want to discern when they could have discerned when it first came up between, say, PT and happiness, or the different shades of happiness. And so what happened was, it just became kind of like, over time, all these qualities got mixed together. It was a nice soup, but it was just a, a soup. So, you know, here at Guy House for years ago, I don't know if it was in your time as a coordinator, but they used to have leftover soups. So basically, all the leftover lunches at the end of the week would get mixed into a <laughs> pot, <laughs> heated up, and that would be... That, and of course, it didn't taste of And eni- eni- it just tasted of nothing, really. Um, people would still be very appreciative, but... Um, it was nice, but it's not like you could differentiate any flavors in there. Um, after if we don't discriminate, The the real danger is you are just left with a soup of niceness that actually never really develops. It never really develops and, and brings the liberation and the opening of certain territories. So again, I contradict myself. Different people have different needs at different times. So. With regard to effort as well, in relation to everything we're saying, you know, sometimes um, l- less effort is more productive. In a moment, actually backing off. So I've that's kind of implicit in, in in a lot of what I've said. Sometimes s- even a slight over-efforting can disturb things um, in different ways. Sometimes that disturbance can be extremely gross. In fact, when the effort is too much, we'll maybe talk about that sometime soon. Um, and sometimes the disturbance can be just really, really subtle. Um, but over-effort has an impact. So, if we go back to this analogy of uh, a potter, you know, crafting uh, a a vase or a pot on a wheel. Yeah? You know know what I'm... Yeah? That makes sense? Yeah. So, sometimes, you know, with the hands, you're going to press with more pressure, and sometimes with less pressure, and that's what's appropriate to what I'm trying to shape right then. In a way, the hand is always, the hands are always pressing so it's just that if the hands on on the on the clay are the is the analogy of um, attention the attention's always there but how how it's pressing affects what arises how much pressure affects the shape that's that's created um. and that's responsive and it's variable and it's improvised It might also be um, that the, again, stretching the analogy a little bit, the size, it could have my whole span of my hands shaping this big vase, or this this particular area where it curves, and I've got it like that. Or maybe there's a certain area where I just want want a little kind of uh, place where it narrows, and I just put my fingers there, and that's going to do something. So this again, the size, the pressure, all of this, it's, it's going to shape what arises. And all of it is improvised, responsive, sensitive, variable. The Buddha gives several images. He talks a lot about right effort, balanced effort. And you probably know these similes, but I'll mention them again. He talks about trying to hold a quail, which is a very small bird, and ho- holding that in, in your hands. Too loose, it flies away. Too tight, and you're going to crush it. Or another analogy is uh, he gave to a musician, a lute player, and he said, "You know, it's like tuning tuning the strings. Too too tight, you snap the string. Too loose, you can't play anything. It's not. It's not. You can, but it's going to sound not very good." So, there's always this question, and it's not a fight, I've said this before, it's always a kind of uh, sensitive, responsive question what's what's the effort? But if we talk about effort, as I mentioned a while ago, we can talk about a kind of micro level of effort, which means in this moment, where what does the intensity need? What does the delicacy need? All that, but also the view in this moment. So, I'm going to talk about view, think, oh, it's, it's up here. What I what really want to communicate is the Whatever view you have up here about the big picture of practice and where you are going, it inevitably filters down, or its implications filter down to your micro moment-to-moment decisions in practice and navigations and what you do. Cannot get you ri- you know, We want to see this and understand this and understand the power of views. So, part of the micro level Uh, effort thing, is also the sensitivity and the playing with, what view am I having right now about what I am doing, what I am emphasizing, etc., my attitudes. And there is a macro level, the, the question of effort on a macro level, so that means like, do I get up and just go for a walk now, is it enough, do I need a rest? Um, how many hours a day am I engaging in formal practice? Is it too much? Am I squeezing too much? Or actually, is it like I could do more? You know, the halls open really, really 24 7 and the walking room as well. So you might have like uh, everyone else is on um, you know, breakfast wash up and you could do a number of things there, but you could come and either sit or, or walk. So it's really sometimes we just get into, I'm used to being on retreat and I sit this much and actually it might be more. So this whole macro level of effort, you know, do I need to back off? Do I need to do more? And and again, the larger views is part of the macro level as well. I mentioned in part of my sort of description or definition of what mastery involved, I mentioned that it also involves, at a at certain point, it involves being able to walk around in in a jhana or practicing doing that. So this is an interesting one because uh, if you get to that point, or when you get to that point, you say, "Okay, I'm going to do that," um, and you might walk around and go for whatever it is, twenty minute walk or whatever it is, and you're in the jhana or an hour walk, and it, and it felt like, wow, that was that was great. I was really there and I was really in this. Whichever state of well-being it was, and right with the energy body, and that was where my primary c- focus was, and the feet were able to just find their way. And then you come back with the subtle view, this sitting is going to be amazing now. But it, and it might be, it might really. No, it, 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 I'm not speaking so much about careful of that, that's what you usually hear on insight retreats, go careful of that. I'm not speaking so much about that. I'm speaking uh, just about we don't always know, because it's an energy question. So it might be, it might indeed, the fact that you've been in jhana might really take your, uh, you know, put you in a, d- in a different kind of springboard t- t- for the next sitting or walking, a formal walking period. But it also might be that having done that actually takes a lot of energy. And then you come and actually you realize, oh, I'm a bit tired now. Or the mind doesn't quite have the energy. So these are, uh, it's still really worth experimenting with. You know, when you get to that point, um, being able to do that and and practice that. But it's an interesting thing, so effort, energy. um, Jhanas bring energy unquestionably, but they also take energy. It's a lot of work. You're putting in a lot of work, just again and again and again, working in these ways, playing in these ways. So that's part of the whole art of being on retreat and part of the whole art of practice is um, kind of getting... Getting a little bit wise and sensitive to energy levels, and it's not always possible to predict it in advance. You know when there's going to be a dip, or when now I'm actually tired from the work I've done and I need to rest. So, but sometimes the mind will need to rest. It really needs to rest from these these kind of efforts. Uh, Another interesting thing, and again, this is perhaps something uh, that will you will run into after y- you have, or once you've had quite a bit of experience with different jhanas. Um, it's possible you're, you're in a jhana, and then you lose it a little bit, or you space out, just for a, a, a couple of moments or something, a few moments. And then you bring the mind back, and, in bringing it back after your couple of moments of spacing out, it comes back at a deeper level that 's interesting um, two two I would say two c- conclusions or ponderings to take from that one is, yeah, maybe spacing out is always not necessarily a disaster you know um, so if i 'm s- too quick with the self judgment and so uh, well hold on let 's see let 's see um, uh, don't immediately assume that. Um, the second thing to wonder about is that if the very fact, if that happens, might it be the, an indication that I was, without realizing it, just subtly over-efforting in the first place? And when I spaced out, actually what happened is is I just loosened, the, the, the effort got loosened, and it was that that allowed the deepening. I don't know, but to me that's very worth thinking about. So it might be an indication, and that should tell me something. Okay, well let's maybe try going back in and having a little bit, a little bit more looseness for a while in terms of the effort, a little, little bit less on the effort pedal. Um, and again, this probably applies more to once you have had different Experiences with jhana, but it might also uh, apply to working with energy body experiences. Um, sometimes, what can creep in is we come to expect um, to be able to access this or that experience or jhana or quality of energy, um, and in a way, that's actually it's good. It's it's fine and good that we can we can expect that. And, and that's part of practice maturing—that one can go and have a reasonable expectation of this or that arising and being able to get into that. But easily, that expectation can then become a kind of um, subtle, subtle demand for this or that to arise or to be as good as I- it usually is or how it was yesterday. And there's a s- there's a subtle stance. It might not involve a lot. It might not involve any thought, but it's just a subtle kind of demand or stance there. And again, just a a slight, uh, again, subtle shift of view. Um, Rather than that, uh, is it, again, why don't we think about picking up on, uh, noticing, becoming sensitive to, and then attuning to um, whatever frequencies are there in the mix in the mix of the energy body, uh, of the emotional, of of the lovely stuff that's there. And that's different, so it might be a slightly different mix, but the question is, what is there? And what can I attune to, rather than a demand? The very tuning to frequencies in the energy body mix, the very tuning to frequencies in the mix of the chitta, will amplify the frequency. So I have to notice it, which takes the sensitivity, I have to be willing to tune on it, that's the um, responsiveness, and then I have to attune to it, and the attuning will amplify. And that's a different thing. I'm not demanding, I'm seeing what's here, what's possible here, what actually is here, and then attuning, and that's different than demanding something. That demand can, as I said, be very, very subtle. Okay. So going back to what I said about PT which actually also applies to certainly for different factors of the primary factors in the, in the first four jhanas even um actually know all the jhanas perhaps um in the meditation part of the um work and play that we talked about part of this kind of direction of increasing, maximizing pleasure, um, was that licking the honey out of the cup or whatever it was. It's um, You could say, and I, in soul-making terms, and I'm just throwing this out very briefly, it doesn't matter if you're not familiar with this. Um, there's actually an eros for that quality, but it's eros in the in, in the small definition. It's this wanting more contact, wanting more intimacy, wanting to penetrate, wanting to open. Right, for those of you who know the soma you recognise that it's it's eros, okay, but it's eros in the small definition because we're not at that point letting it go into an im too much of an image or a, or a whole big where it expands to psyche, logos, and everything. It, but it's eros in the small definition. Out outside the meditation, it can you can have eros with with the fantasy, with the image, etc. E- eros in the bigger definition, i.e., eros that is allowed to stimulate Psyche and Logos and the whole soul-making dynamic. If that doesn't make any sense, forget it, but it doesn't matter. What matters is, uh, right now, Okay, for the, for the in the moment-to-moment moment meditation, it's the seeking of the pleasure, the enjoying it, the getting into it, get into it. In the larger, outside of the meditation, um, and actually in the meditation both, the view of the self on the path is absolutely crucial. What's my view of myself as a practitioner, as someone walking the path? So I've known people with all kinds of, um, actually deep experiences in meditation over the years and something's not right in the view of the self on the path, the view of self as practitioner and and there's very little liberation that comes from it. The whole way there, the psychology is construing or holding the self as meditator. And this experience, that experience, understand the idea about emptiness, have even had certain fading, etc. Something's not working. Some some connection is kind of jammed the wrong way. So sometimes in relation to jhana, sometimes, I don't know if I've said this in a talk before, sometimes I've certainly said it in, in certain interviews, you know, again, we can get so much... Tight around the achievement-oriented, and then self-judging, and um, you know, one one way uh, kind of um, take the pressure off, and I'll say something opposite. One way of taking the pressure off is okay. What we're doing here is uh, with the jhana's business and the PT and the pleasure and all these different wavelengths of pleasure is something akin to okay, you're tired, and your back hurts, and. Uh, at home or wherever you are there's a sofa, and it 's got lots of cushions on it, and you're just kind of arranging these cushions so that they feel as best as they can feel and so, uh, oh no, if I shift this one that's better that's but be- no all no, oh that ah oh, that's better that's what you're doing. Are you going to get into a big self judgment thing about that that's essentially what we're doing why so that's one way of thinking about it. You know, it's to take the, take the pressure off in the view. It's something we're just kind of like, okay, here's this body experience, here's this mind experience, here are these, you know, ev- everything involved in that, here's this energy body. What, what, what will help to make it feel good? And it's just not a big deal. And you play with that until it feels good or to maximize how good it feels. At another level, and coming back to the Eros thing, Um, The view of the self on the path, we do want um, that, uh, or it's possible that that can be a real sense of blessedness, of gift, um, humility, desire, love, image of the tradition, image of the Buddha, image of teachers, image of self on path, all this becomes imaginal in in the fully soul-making sense of the word. And it will still, as the Buddha said, it will still have pain at times. There will still be distress, frustration, disappointment, tightness. The distress of the contemplative, he calls it. Um, but that's part that can be there, uh, and it's part of the cut of eros. It's part of the bigger soul-making fantasy. For those of you who know about soul making, I'm not going to explain all that now. We need to have a sense of the self on the path, an image, a construal of the self as practitioner on the path in a way that's nourishing, in a way that really makes sense, that holds us well through all the ups and downs. <coughs> so all this um, that we're touching on today, all this is is relevant to and even causes the different, different, and various difficulties we encounter in practice. So again, we tend to have such a narrow view of what we need to do. But all all this business is of oftentimes actually causal of the difficulties, and more causal than than what we tend to think of as the problem. So inability to access jhana. And so again, I n- can think of one meditator, there's actually a few, meditating for decades, 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 lots of retreats, etc. And she wants to um, develop her samadhi, which means for her concentration and focus. And she my concentration is so bad, uh, which almost everyone says, she'll my mind wanders and my thoughts come. And um, again, she's measuring in terms of exactly what it said. Maybe not put those things as priority. How much thought comes? Is my mind wandering? But she is measuring that way. She says, I need to really get into this before I can do any other kind of practice. I really need to develop my focus. I really need to develop my concentration. Now actually, knowing her fairly well as a student, um She actually needs, I would say, much more important than she needs to develop her focus and uh, keep her mind steady on something and all that. Actually, what needs to happen is an inquiry, an exploration, uh, or a development in practice of being able to give herself fully to something. That's a very different thing. What is it to really show up? I give myself. Now, there's a kind of, I give myself. I really care about this. There's a kind of macro, and there's this micro level, like when I did the sunbathing thing. Opening, surrendering, the issue, I would say, is more with that. It's not about keeping the mind steady and her ability to do that. The reason she can't do that is because there's something in her that is holding back energetically, heartfully, s- in terms of her soul, in her life as well, in terms of opening and surrendering. And so for her, th- there's very rarely any kind of build up of energy in the being. Something's just blocking it. Something won't open to it. Um, energy is not, is not permitted to gather. Um, and actually, those are the primary issues. Those are the primary uh, uh, causes of, of uh, inability to deepen in samadhi, access that. But but just seeing in a very different way, so it's a different view. But, but you can also see, one can also see, and we've talked about it, um, you see some of these very same issues manifesting in her life. It's not like, oh, that's just a problem of focus and concentration. It's this kind of issue about allowing energy to gather, about being wholehearted, about really giving herself, getting behind something, about really opening actually manifest in her life, too, and cause all all kinds of, uh, let's say, limitations. So, a shift in view, a shift in understanding, then a shift in emphasis of of what am I actually practicing here? What would make a difference? What's important? Again, sometimes, uh, oftentimes, human beings, you know, it's the uh, the body isn't open. The energy body as a sort of habit is not so open. And so Most people wouldn't, it's not obvious when you look, I mean you get people with really hunched over kind of contracted postures. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something much more subtle that's just dis- palpable but, but um, not obvious to, to, let's say, most people. And sometimes this has to do with trust. Sometimes it has to do with, and it's related to, just also sometimes you see, oh, the person like that also, for instance, is very hard for them to feel something like devotion. All these things are related. And it's about the concentration. It's maybe not about the concentration. It's about something else, about the heart and the soul, and and how the heart and the soul over time um, shapes or limits a certain kind of um, typical stance or typical way that the energy body is. energy body always moves, it's always opening and closing, but there can be sort of, typically it's just a little bit close, so certain things just are not possible. And again, maybe t- to learn to practice, trusting in the opening, trusting in surrendering, just slowly, slowly learning how to do that with the energy, practicing that. Or, as I alluded to before, sometimes what happens is people get um, quite, a tightness or overexcitement, which might be very, very subtle, creeps in right when when actually there's a, there's a lot of c- focus, there's a lot of concentration, there's a lot of PT. Then maybe right on the edge of the first jhana, if we even talk about edges. But what I want to say is they're thinking too much about edges, and that view is creating right. There's two black and white over there. If I can just get over there, even if over there is like metaphorically two inches, that will be the jhana. And it's not I- again. It could be a verbal thought. It could be a not not verbal thought. And that very black and white view is c- allowing attention to creep in, a, 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 an impulse to snatch and grasp, which causes a problem, a tightness. What about instead just getting into it, getting into what what is there that is lovely and enjoying that, and not worrying about where the boundary is. Relishing, really relishing what's here and versus the idea of attaining something and then measuring whether I've attained it. What I'm interested in is just in relishing that honey. Last thing. Doing good for time today, huh? So this is pretty good. Okay. Last thing. Um, I mentioned that the Buddha talked or described the jhanas at uh, times as perception attainments perception, attainment, and <coughs> what we are doing, I would say, the, m- the most fruitful, the truest, the most ontologically valid, and the most liberating way of conceiving what we are doing in all this, is that we are playing with perception. And, and in that playing of perception, certain perception attainments uh, will be opened. And that way of viewing, I would say, is much more significant than uh, we're practicing an unwavering attention, we're practicing an intensity of a laser beam attention that dissects, um, like a magnify magnifies things, like looking at things through a magnifying glass, or that we're simplifying. Or even that we're playing with energy so I do talk a lot about energy when I teach sometimes it's like I said it's ha- it seems to be helpful for a lot of people some people really don't like it because they don't it doesn 't resonate at all for them they don't get a sense of it but you know then we can relate all this to Qigong and all that all that and there is a, there is a uh, it makes sense to talk about energy but very often then we can think we can kind of get locked in a certain view, that we're really doing something here with the energy, or with the energy body, or with the body, or with the chakras, or with the whatever it is. or is. We're getting the energy body to this or that state of energy, or whatever. And that becomes locked as a view. I'm working on this contraction, I'm whatever it is, I'm opening the energy here. So sometimes that's really, really helpful as a view, and we can talk in energetic terms in some of these examples of difficulties. It's actually you see talk about them in energetic terms and how they relate to life. And sometimes a person has just, you've had enough of that kind of thinking. And it's not the final truth of what's going on. It's just a certain way of, a way of conceiving it, a way of construing it, a way of perceiving it. So this idea of perception attainment and the idea of playing with perception, that's the most radical shift of conceptual framework uh, and the most important shift of conceptual framework that you could make and really understand what that means, and use that in a way that's actually fruitful rather than just a yeah, yeah, yeah. It has everything to do with a radical uh, and deep understanding of emptiness. The jhanas, what we're doing in the jhanas, have I didn't explain, I rushed through it at that point in the talk, Yeah, they will come back to it. But if I start to understand the jhanas as, we're playing with perception, and then perception attainments are, Opened through our playing with perception, this integrates completely into our understanding of of deep uh, of the deep emptiness of all things. That's the most important thing in the Dharma, I would say. The most important thing in the Dharma is perception, understanding perception, and playing with perception, and you can construe of the whole Dharma as actually being primarily interested in that. Playing with perception. Everything, even things that sound like they have nothing to do with that, that you can understand the whole Dharma as basically an exploration of playing with perception and then a taking of certain conclusions and certain liberations from that. What do I mean by perception? Perception, sanya is the Pali word, and often it gets translated as something like Labeling—that's um, not at all what I mean when I when I say perception. By perception, I mean I do not mean labeling, um, green, Sarah, cushion. Um, which is not a cushion; it's a um, it's a bench. Um, I mean by perception. I mean it's an equivalent term for experience. Or. Better appearance, so I use these three terms and phenomena interchangeably. Phenomenon interchangeably, experience, perception, appearance, experience, phenomenon. So, perception attainment is um, is not a labeling attainment. If I if I were to say um, if I were to label, Sari, banana, and Kirsten pomegranate and Julian Kiwi. <laughs> I'm not playing with labels here. I'm playing with the fabrication of experience, the fabrication of appearance. Energy is a, f- is a fabricated perception, fabricated appearance. It's not energy. It's a fabrication of, it's a certain fabrication of appearance, experience. This kind of energy is this kind of fabrication, this kind of conjuring, this kind of weaving and sculpting of appearance and experience. The first jhana is this kind of weaving, conjuring, fabricating of experience, appearance, perception. The eighth jhana is, actually that's a bad example, we'll come back to that later. Um, uh, papancha involves certain uh, fabricating of experience. Just the normal everyday consciousness is a certain fabrication percep- uh, fabrication of perception, experience, appearance. Life is the fabrication of perception, experience, appearance. Meditation is the exploration of the fabrication of perception, experience, appearance. Skill and art in meditation is skill and art in the fabrication and the various fabrications and what they lead to. and. Do they lead where we want to go? If I want it to lead to unfabricating or skillful fabricating, or this kind of liberation or this kind of state or that kind of quality or that kind of energy, or that kind of jhana? Perception attainments. And that has everything to do with emptiness, which has basically is, is related to the fabrication of experience, the fabrication of the sense of existence at different times. So the jhanas are completely woven in to the whole sense of what's most important in in the path. It's a way of conceiving the whole of the dharma. Seeing it that way, with that kind of view, is very different than other ways we can conceive of what we're trying to do here. And as I said, for some of you, okay, I do talk a lot about energy and some of you are very happy with that language, but it can sometimes get too as if it's a real thing. What would happen? if you are one of these people, what would happen to just rethink the whole thing, rethink your practice, rethink energy, rethink jhana, rethink dharma, in terms of perception? Which, as I said, doesn't mean (coughs) labeling. Doke. So um, it's five forty-five. Would we like? Would you like to end now, or d- are there some questions that it might be feel helpful to ask, or does it feel like there might be? Just get a sense of who who might feel like they might want to ask. And Linda's got one, and Karen and Julian. Yeah. Um, why don't Why don't we take just a few questions? Is that? So this will be part three, and then. Um Yeah, let's let's see how that goes, yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.